Well, welcome with me this morning, Dr. Don and Renee Wooster. We are so excited to have them. Did I get it better today? Come on. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for um, coming back. If you came back, welcome if this is the first time. Um, you know what, can we start? I love that. I love the idea that, you know, there's, there's lots of laughter if we could catch it while it's happening. Like all those things are like, you have, you can laugh during that when your kids are throwing food at you and right. But you have to find the humor in the, the parenting. Otherwise we're, um, we're in trouble. So let's start, let's pray this morning. Jesus, we're so thankful, Lord, that you're the good parent, Lord, that you're the good father, that we are not orphans. We do not have a spirit of being an orphan, Lord, that you, we belong to you, that you've called us by name, that you knit us together, that you know our children before we know our children, that you loved them first, that you love them most. Thank you, Lord, that we can have that reassurance today, that you're not leaving us alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I was struck by that this morning as I was thinking about coming here is just the idea that God is not leaving us alone. Sorry. I would want us to hear that. God is not leaving us alone to parent. And God God is not disappointed. I think there's a lot of guilt. And uh, we have a lot of father kind of image about what the Lord thinks about us. And so um, the Lord is for you and with you in this. The Lord is for you and with you in this. He's not leaving us alone. We're not orphans to parent. He, we belong to him. Um, I just wanted to tell you... Um, Tim had said something last night that this idea of this picture is really a stool and without one of the legs, the stool falls over. The stool needs all three things going on at the same time. The rules, reassurance, the rules about what, what's the clarity of what we're doing. And then the relationship, us building that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a, uh, uh, Renee started a, uh, a ministry in Phoenix um, to kids, high school kids with special needs about 10 years ago. And um, so began bringing people in the community to do things. We had two great volunteers, and they're taking these high school kids out, uh, mostly Down syndrome kids, on Friday night. And a lot of kids with special needs have never had a social life. And so these leaders are just befriending them and spending time with them. And so um, we live in Phoenix, and there's a main drag strip is, is Central Avenue. And uh, people, high school kids will drive up and down Central Avenue. And so um, one of these leaders calls us, and they have four special needs kids that they're out on Friday night. And uh, they went out to Chuck E. Cheese and played some video games, and then they rented um, some Veggie Tales, and then they were cruising up and down Central Avenue. And Dave has this 1965 red Cadillac, this long thing with big speakers in it. And they call us up on a Friday night, and they go, hey, um, uh, can we come by and TP your house? And uh, we go, yeah. He goes, okay, well, give us about 45 minutes. We're going to bring the guys by. We'll TP your house. Give us a little while and then chase us off. And and uh, I said, great, okay. So I tell Renee, I said, hey, Dave and Andy called, and they're going to come by and TP the house with the guys. She goes, oh, that's great. And uh, so we're putting our kids, we, we were that family. We're putting our kids to bed. And uh, it's about 10 o'clock at night, and I go and get one of these big mag flashlights I've got, you know, like the four-battery ones, like the black, really scary ones. And we hear Dave's vehicle come pulling up because it's this big, loud, red caddy. And uh, we hear it come pulling up, and I look out through the, through the blinds, 
and I can see them come, you know, they're, they're coming across, sneaking up on the yard, and they're all dressed in camo, <laughs> ninja style. So we got four ninja special needs kids and two leaders that they're all coming up to get our house. And they got bags of, te- of toilet paper. And I'm looking out, and I, Renee is looking, we're looking out, I go, oh, this is going to be good. And so leaders start handing out the toilet paper. And so uh, they start throwing the toilet paper directly at our bushes. So it's bouncing off, right? Because they've never TP'd a house. So their leaders get them, they circle them up and they do a little tutorial. You know, they're good leaders. Kind of like, you got to roll it out. You got to launch it up. So it gets streams over. So it takes them a few minutes, but after a while they get really good. And they start getting our bushes and our trees and our cars and everything else. And I go, oh, this is, I go, man, what a mess. This is great. And uh, I go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to chase them off now. So, uh kick open the door, turn on the light. And I go, shine the light. And I go, Hey, Hey, you children, you youth, you know, kind of a thing, right? I'm the angry neighbor. Uh, and so Andy, Andy, and Dave go, Oh, Hey, we gotta go run. And so they start to take off to go back to the car to get chased off, but they didn't rehearse the escape with these guys. So they're confused and, and they're like, going, no, we gotta run back. We gotta go. And I can see that they they're stuck on this part, right? This is the getaway. And they don't know how to do it exactly. So I'm stalling going, youth of America should know about, I mean, I'm just giving them time to go, no, we're in trouble. We got to run. We got to get out now, get back to the car kind of a deal. So he's just got them convinced that they're going to run off, you know, jump back in the car. They're all in trouble. And then Renee comes out from behind me and Renee has been spending time with these kids and reaching out to them. And so she comes out from behind me. They're just starting to run to get back to the car. And Renee just goes, Hey, who is that? And she just yells out and they just freeze. And they turn around and, uh, Clay goes, it's Renee. Hi, Renee. <laughs> and they all, they go, it's Renee. And, and David and you like, run, we're in trouble. Get away. Get away. They go, no, it's Renee. Renee. <laughs> and they all just come walking directly up right to the porch light, everything else. And they go, get out of here. We're in trouble. We got to go. No. And they just came right on up. And it was such a picture to me, right? We're trying to, I'm still going, well, who made all this mess? And Clay goes, well, I got that one by myself. And Andy helped me with this one. <laughs> and I mean, they made that right. They're just totally kind of just standing there. Totally right. They made this huge mess. And uh, I tell you what struck me is that as soon as they heard Renee's voice, they stopped. Right? Because it was the voice of love. And when you hear the voice of love, you're just not afraid anymore of the mess you made. When it's really a voice of love, you know what? You're not afraid. You can walk right into the light and you can just go, yep, I did that one all by myself. My brother helped me with that one. But that one was all me, right? And I tell you what, when God talks to us, it's always a voice of love. That's right. The reason we can walk straight into the light and sort of go, I totally blew it, is because that's the voice that comes to us. It's a voice of love. I blew it as a dad. I blew it as a parent. I blew it as a friend. I blew it as a partner. It's always a voice of love that we come into. We don't have to be afraid of the mess we made, the mistakes we made. Not in the kingdom, we don't, right? And when we talk to our kids, we want to, as much as we can, release that same voice of love, right? There's a mess. We'll deal with the mess. We'll clean up the mess. We'll, we'll sort through it. But if they hear that, you know what? It will always stop them. It will always kind of call them to go, I'm going to be in this mess and we're going to figure it out together. Right? You 
are a treasure. Now, that behavior is messy. So you're gold, but that behavior, we're going to have to figure out what to do with that. But you, the person, man, that's an image. That's a value. And we always want to let kids know who they are. The value there as a person is never in play. It's never in question. It's never diminished. It's never reduced. They're not getting rid of us. You know, for our kids to go, you're stuck with us as parents. I mean, we're in, right? Now, that behavior, that, we'll talk about that. We're going to clean this mess up. But you, and I think the foundation, the, the rest that we're talking about is the person, the image, that voice of love. We, if we hear that, I think we can also release that. And in our own parenting, as we talk about some of the stuff, as we're downloading it, we don't want it to be, oh, I didn't do that. Oh, oh my gosh, I didn't do that. Oh, my gosh, I didn't do that. And to sort of load you up with a lot of that. But to kind of go, boy, where are the opportunities that we can be, engage? Not in condemnation, not in judgment, not in striving, not in, God, the Woosters did that. I mean, trust me, <laughs> we're messy, <laughs> our kids, just like you. But we want to go for that and be aware of that voice of love, yeah. that that's the safe place. Which, by the way, that, that is good. Um, that's true in our married life too, right? If we can think of it as this is the mess, this is the sin, this is the place where we're getting snagged, this is the area, if we can think of it like a cup, like, we're going to set this out in front of us. What are we going to do about that? Let's talk about that. If we could have that kind of clarity about that, going, this doesn't affect you and I, though. We're, we're each other's mess. We're found first that we're God's mess. And then we're each other's mess. And then our kids, right? But it's that order and it's that sense of going, we're going to look at this together. And we're always in this process and in this practice and in this place of being a student, right? We're students of the Lord. We're students of each other. We're students of our children. We're learning their bend. We're learning the stuff inside of us. But this is ongoing, right? This is this ongoing work that the Lord is doing inside of us, and he's preparing us for it all the time. So um, this morning, we want to talk about two things in the, in the um, little bit of time we have here. And one of them is this idea of how do people move along? How do they develop? We talked about last night, where do you want your kids to go? And how does the actual developmental process happen? What are the, what are the components of that? And in any healthy kind of growth, if you want to get people from one point to the other place, other place, the two dimensions are always they need some level of support and they need some level of challenge. Those two elements together are what move people into a developmental process. And if you have one without the other, it doesn't happen. If you support people without challenging them, they just become dependent and they don't develop. If you challenge them without supporting them, they might perform for a while um, as long as you can motivate them enough or compensate them enough, but then they'll crash and burn at some point. So those two things together, right, uh, from a from a biblical perspective, in the Old Testament, there was two roles, the prophet and the priest. And the prophet told the hard things to the people, and the priest supported them. In the New Testament, Jesus came with grace and truth. Grace is support, and truth is reality. It's always those things traveling together. And so when we think about kids, um, there's an element that we have uh, young children, probably zero to six. And then we have middle children that are a little bit older, uh, six to 12. And then we have adolescence, 12 to 18. And in those seasons of their development, there's going to be, uh, we want to do an age-appropriate response of both the support um, kind of and the challenge. And we want to do it in an age-appropriate kind of way so that kids 
are in that place um, doing a lot of it. When kids are young, mostly what we're doing is directing and protecting. So, uh, you know what, when a two, a three, a four-year-old is kind of exploring the world and he doesn't understand electric currency, you don't kind of go through a whole thing, you just don't lick the light socket. Um, You don't run with the knife. You don't play in traffic. I mean, there are just things that you just sort of go, I'm directing and protecting you. That's what I'm doing. Um, Can I say something on that that particular area? So, in this area, I want to say a couple little things that I found helpful when the kids were around that age. One is I wanted in the relationship part that we talked about, I wanted them to understand that it's real important that we go eyeball to eyeball, right? So one of the things that we started talking about when they were young is our eyes, right? What we do with our eyes. So when we have conversations, we look at each other. We're not looking down. We're not looking away. We look at each other. And that was just a practice that we wanted to start as we had conversation. As we started to have a conversation, I would say, could I see your eyes? Question, right? Could I see your eyes? Just asking them to look at me. Engage, right? It's different when our kids are looking at us than when they're not looking at us. They're looking away. There's a different posture, different practice for them. And I wanted them to learn that they can engage, right? And so it got to the place where I could also, if we were out, and they would be with other people, if I noticed they weren't doing it, I would just tap my eye. So they would know. And if they didn't know, then afterwards we'd talk about it. And I'd say, when I do this, what I'm trying to help you see is that you can look at the person when they're talking to you. So if they ask you a question and I do this, it's because you're looking away. Can you remember that next time? So the practice of them engaging that way, of, of being able to engage with their eyes. Another one was learn just really not very much, but a couple of sign language things when the kids were little and I wanted them to be able to say, thank you, wherever we were. And even at a really young age, if we were out, say, if someone does something for us, we always thank them. Whether we're at the grocery store, we're at the gas station, wherever we're at, we thank people. So I want to get in the practice. We, we, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? So I would want to tell them that like, we're thankful wherever we go, whatever we do, we're thankful. So I wanted them to learn the idea of we have Thanksgiving in our heart all the time, wherever the Lord takes us, whether we're at school, wherever we're at. So this is thank you, sign language, thank you, so that if we were be, we would be out. So I wouldn't have to do what we talked about before. You didn't, you know, do the opposite that I would say I would do that to them. They'd be across the room, thank you, to remind them if they weren't saying thank you thank you as a practice to go so that I'm not having to verbally say it to them because sometimes that can be shaming to a kid like to go, but if they're doing it on their own, they're just seeing their, then they turn, use their eyes. Thank you. We turn and look at people and we say, thank you. So that's in that zero to six. That's just a couple things that I feel like were things that were helpful for me as far as being with them. And in the direct and protect area, I feel like one of the things is self-care and knowing where your heart is, that clarity of heart. When they're little, we have to keep track of our own heart, our own emotions, what's going on with us. The kids are seeing, we're, they're just breathing in the fumes of what's going on inside of us during that time. So we have to figure out some places where we can do self-care during those zero to six time too. Yeah, totally. Um, so then, uh, in that middle six to 12, usually kids are starting to leave or now have another exposure outside the home into school. So in elementary grade six, we're doing more training and support as kids are moving 
into a broader pool. We're taking them out of just our little arena, mostly a family, and now they're moving into a little bit broader arena. They're more socially engaging with kids. So training and supporting, when kids are in this stage, it's a good idea to rehearse with them and kind of say, so you're going to go to school, first day of school. Let's talk about how you're going to greet people when you go to school. And so we rehearse that to kind of go, you're going to make eye contact. You're going to say hi. You're going to say, hi, my name's Emma. What's yours? How was your summer? We're going to rehearse social skills with our kids to kind of help them set up to go, that's what's going to go. And so training and supporting as kids are going, we are always going to love them. We would like them to be in a way that other people can also love them. That's right. Right? We're going to love them no matter what, but it'd be nice if other people could enjoy them. Right? So to do that, a little bit of training and support, as they begin to navigate a little broader world, as they begin to engage, they're in play groups, they're on sports teams, they're doing things, they're starting to do more social engagement. All those big things we want them to do at 25 start as they're now starting to socially navigate and to conflict resolve and do all those other sorts of things that they come home and they had a problem because some, there's some alpha chick in their group that's really a bully and telling everyone what to do. And so Emma comes home and go, well, Emma, what do you, what do you think about that? What could you do? How did you feel? What kinds of things do you think you could say? What are some of your, right? We're starting to ask her. We're starting to train her. This is, a, if you've been directing and protecting, and then as your kids are moving into that arena, you continue to do that. Someone is not nice to your kid, and you call the parents up, and you go, your daughter was really mean to my daughter. Um, you're not training anymore. You're intervening. Yeah. Right? We want our kids trained to go, what do you do with an alpha chick who's kind of, you know, taking over the world in second grade? What do you do with a guy who's, right, no offense to alpha chicks, but, um, (laughs) and you know who you are, by the way, um, right? But how do our kids, how do we begin engaging our kids? How they're going to begin problem solving, how they're going to begin resourcing, what are they going to do with that person? That's a train and support them, right? That we're going to kind of follow them. And six to 12 is a, a time period where they start to do that. And we start to teach them how to do that. That's the train and support. Um, and then the last section, the 12 to 18, that's really a time to equip and encourage. Um, once, if we have been sort of doing that training and supporting and coming alongside, at 12 when hormones kick in and adolescence kicks in, and now they're in a bigger pool, right? Um, sometimes 6 to 12 feels like we're doing awesome. Um, and their kids turn 12 or 13 and suddenly, you know, I mean, the, the kids that were, my daughter used to like me. My son was so compliant. Oh, my gosh, suddenly, right? And so we have all the adolescent things of, where is my 12-year-old, right? Um, they're in there. They're in there, right? But you pour, the, uh, you pour enough testosterone in a 13-year-old boy about 600 times higher than it was six months before. And you've now got this young man cub who's edgy, who's hungry, who's challenging, who's doing all this stuff, right? And so, you know, when they're kind of going through that, you go, this, right, we're in transitioning. This is a whole new creature that's emerging, right? And so you're developing a relationship with this new creature. And um, young ladies that are, whose bodies are changing and whose shapes are changing and whose relationships are changing. If you want to look at where there are peaks in acting out issues for young ladies, the highest peak of things like eating disorders and depression are in those transition periods from junior high to high school and from high school to college. Those are real transition times, and that's when a lot of things are peaking because everything is changing. It becomes very distressful. Their bodies change, everything else. So it's a pretty wild time. 
I would say remain in your seat with your seatbelt on. Do not move about the cabin, okay? <laughs> this is not a good time, right, to be walking. You just sort of go, hey, the, we're going to hit a little choppy air here. That's okay. You know, we're still going to have a little bit of fun, but we're all, again... Can I say one yeah. thing on that? I think during that time, it's really, it's really easy to become a reactive parent because your kids are making those changes. And one of the insights for me was... I was at school one day and I just became really aware of the battleground that our kids are in and what they're having to manage. Like it hadn't struck me until one day when I was with our kids at school and I was like, they're managing this every day. They're managing their bodies. They're managing their mind. They're in, in places where they can get hurt. Like, I don't think of it as I'm sending them off, that that's a place where they're having to figure out. They're managing those home hormones, right? All of a sudden, they're having to steward something they've never had to steward before. So during that time, if we become reactive, and I have a tendency to want to do that, like, I'm like, oh, they're a mess. What have we done? If I'm taking my cues from what I see in our kids, if I'm taking my cues about how I'm going to parent, I'm going to be doing this right? Up and down. I'm going to be following them. And during that time, if I go, I'm taking my cues from what Christ is asking me to do, where my heart is supposed to stay clear, then I can be a resource. I'm not traveling with you to all those places. I'm going to be this person who keeps speaking the truth into your life. Consistency over time. And I think during those transition periods, it's really hard to not become a reactive parent and to, to also resign yourself that you're not going to enjoy your kids. To go, we don't, we're not raising our kids so that we're not going to enjoy them all the way to 25. We're raising our kids because God enjoys us and we get to enjoy our kids. During all of these things where we're going up and down and they're figuring out how to do that, we're going to keep enjoying them. Now we're going to keep going, what are we supposed to do about this? What do we think about this? But that whole time we're doing this training and this, let's talk about how we can do this. Let's talk about how you think about your body. And that was one of the conversations I had with Emma when she was in fifth and sixth grade. Let's start talking about how you think of your body. Women fight this battle of self-hatred. We have to fight it. We have to fight it in ourselves. And then we have to pass that on to our kids too to go, no, 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 no. We're going to win this battle. God made a creation inside of you that he loves. And we're going to love it. So we fight that battle with our girls to go, we're not going to lose that battle of self-hatred. God loves how he designed you. God loves how he made you. Yeah. We're going to love that. Yeah. We had a, a, Renee had a great conversation with Emma. They were, they were doing their toes and doing their hair. R- Renee talks to Emma all the time about her body and about life and about all the rest of that. And um, as a young lady, and it was a couple of weeks ago, and Renee said, to Emma, she goes, Emma, I'm sorry that it's this much work. Um, you know, the beauty is this much work. Yeah. And they were having this little conversation. And Emma, who's pretty insightful and reflective, Emma kind of thought about it for a second. She goes, you know what? She goes, Mom, she goes, she goes, beauty isn't hard. She goes, God put beauty in each of us. She goes, pretty is hard. <laughs> and she goes, you can really get messed up on that. Yeah. yeah. She's 13. She just turned 13. Right. Um, and she's kind of be, be starting to tease out this idea of beauty versus pretty and recognizing that she lives in a culture that's pretty socially competitive and you're evaluated on your pretty and 
that you can really get caught in that, right? But the process of what young women are having to negotiate, and young guys, right? Guys need to have independence. Jacob put a sign on his door, please knock before entering when he turned 12, right? This is now a little man cub room, right? <laughs> little boy's room, you just go right in and go, oh, that outlook flicks orb, right? But when you enter a little man cub room, you knock. That's a sign of respect. Hey, can I give you some feedback about that outfit? Right? Knocking, asking a question is a sign of respect. And he's a young man and he's learning how to manage that. Right? Now, with moms and sons to kind of go, if you're still directing and protecting, if you're still throwing the old first-time obedience card on him, if you're still, you know, kind of throwing that on him and he's trying to figure out kind of his competency and his capability and his whole little welcome to man cub life, I mean you know what? You're just going to have a lot of these unproductive exchanges. If he keeps depending on you the way he has depended on you, he will not develop his own competency and capability. And he's going to be crippled and disabled, right? Um, He has to discover that. He has to find that out. We are equipping him and encouraging him. We're asking him great questions. What do you think you should do about that? Right? Because we want him to learn how to do it. All the questions we're asking him from 12 to 18 are the questions we want him to ask himself as he goes into adulthood. If all he does is respond to our direction and our direction stops when he's 18, he's got nothing to operate from. Which is why 12 to 18, if you're not asking them three or four questions a day, about issues that you want them to address, about finding resources, about conflict, about what do you think you see yourself doing? Those questions are getting, they start externally and then they get dropped in. So as they're going off to this young adult world, they're asking the questions of themselves that you've been asking them. Are you asking them questions? Clean up your room, get your homework done. Do you turn that paper in? Those are not questions. Those are directing and protecting statements. Right? And we want to equip them. We want to encourage them. We want to keep going. I see your capacity. I see great things in you. I see your heart. You are a strong man. You have courage. We're going to call those things out. Right? We're going to lay them down. But that process, as kids start off, the support is very high and the challenge is very low. And so on a line, if we were imagining it, we would see with young kids, there's lots of support with a little bit of challenge. And as they're advancing, that's dropping. Uh, the oh, challenge, sorry. yeah, um, the challenge is going in the other direction. With young kids, it's low. But as they're going up, that, that line's going up so that we're asking more and more. So we're starting the X, right? Can you see that? Can you put that one up, the yeah. challenge? So by the time they're 18, they are really learning how to problem solve. And we're asking a lot of them. We're asking them to figure it out. We're asking them to tolerate distress. We're asking them to know their hearts. We're asking them to kind of have hard face-to-face conversations, right? You start asking kids to have face-to-face conversations when they're in third and fourth grade, not when they're 19 or 20. You start asking them early. You know this is the direction that you're going, right? Does that make sense? Right? Okay, so, so here, are, here are a couple questions for this age group that, that I think would be helpful. How are you thinking of this. Ask them, how are you thinking of this? What 
do you think you should do? What do you need from me? Those would be all good questions for the 12 to 18-year-old face. How are you thinking of this? Let them tell you the interior of their thinking. What do you think you should do? What are the options? Let's talk about them. What do you need from me? Is there anything I can do to help you do what you think you need to do? But this whole thing is we're we're starting with high support for kids because if we want the the list that we talked about last night, the 25-year-old, if we want that list, we start with high support, low challenge, but we're we're increasing um, the challenge as they get here for them to take that on, for them to self-govern, for them to think about it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the individual issues that you're working out with your family, the individual things that are coming up as you're sorting through lifestyle. I mean, some of those are going to be specific to your family and your convictions and how you guys define priorities, but the process of kind of going, okay, as our kids are in middle school, we're thinking more and more about equipping. We're thinking more and more about challenging, Right. We can't stay in the direct and protect mode too long without starting to really get behind. If that direct and protect thing stays all the way up to 18 because we feel better, right? We kept them in this bubble all the way to 18. Um, boy, when they make the transition, they're going to discover that they don't have the capacity. They haven't found it yet. It hasn't developed in them yet. And then they're going to be playing some real hard catch-up. And so that's why we talked about last night. We want to think about, it gets here quicker than we're ready. We want to think about what we're getting our kids ready to do the whole time. When they're little, we want to start thinking about what are we moving them through? How are we helping engage them here? What kinds of things are we doing to get them ready for that great life that we believe God has for them and that we're going to be cheering for and that we think is really critical? Um, we don't want to settle in when they're 18, realize, I talked with a guy who took his son to school a few weeks ago and realized as he was taking him on the plane that he didn't know how to balance a checkbook. And he kind of goes, it didn't strike me to the plane. He said, now just make sure you keep an eye on your money and you balance your checkbook. And his son goes, what does that mean? And he got to the dorm room and they, the, the RAs threw some stuff down and his, his guy came in and, and his son didn't know how to make a bet. And was really embarrassed. And then he realized that socially he, you know, he'd always had a pretty structured deal and he was having trouble. And he just called me up and goes, oh my gosh, how, how did I miss kind of some basic things? And he loves his kid. He's, I mean, he's really, he's amazing. He's an amazing kid, but these things have just haven't developed along the way. And that list that we put up last night was a pretty good list. We want to be thinking about that, even kind of while we're getting them ready. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you think of it, this, this kind of area is it, we do a lot of that in the home and then we move to kind of the school life, right? That's where they're practicing it. And then we're getting them ready for the world. Right. So it kind of is that movement that we're doing. 
along the way, home to the school to the world. But all those places are places that we're practicing things with them. And I would say when you're working on things with your kids, I think of it like juggling. You would never juggle more than three balls at a time, right? Really. I can juggle one. (laughs) So when you're addressing your kids and having them work on things, I would say three is the most. We can flood and overwhelm our kids if we come up with 10 things they should be working on. Usually when I'm in this, when we're in this stage, I'd say one, we're going to work on first time obedience this week. The first time I call you, I'm going to ask you that you come first time, not going to do one, two, three, whatever you're going to do on number three, do on number one. Just say first time obedience. When I call you, because what we're getting the rhythm of them doing is obeying the Lord. When the Lord asks them to do something the first time we say, yes. When their boss asked them to do it the first time, they say yes. So when we do that during this stage, I would say you do one thing at a time. It's also overwhelming to us if we're trying to work on. Let's work on 10 things. So take one thing that you go, I really feel like I want to work on this one thing with our kids right now. It's not cheating to help them be successful. Like with my son, I'm for a long time. When he's watching television, he's so intense. And if he gets interrupted in a program, he has a strong reaction. So I'd come in and I would say, hey, Jacob, uh, time out. I go, in about five minutes, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to say, Jacob, it's time for dinner. Turn off the television. In about five minutes, I'm going to walk in and say that. Do you know what you're going to say? And he's blank for a minute. And he goes, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, uh, can I finish watching? I go, nope, no, you're not going to say, can I finish watching the program? Nope. What else could you say? Uh... But the pro- I go, no, think about it. What else can you say? He goes, okay, Dad. And then what will you do? Uh, he goes, uh, then I'll, uh, I'll turn off the television. And I go, and how about your heart? He goes, uh, happy heart? Yes. <laughs> yes. So you got that? I'm going to say it's time. You're going to say, okay, Dad, and look at me. Then you're going to turn it off. And with a happy heart, you're going to come to dinner. That's what's going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll see you in and I leave, right? I am going to help him every way I can, right? To rehearse it, to get ready for it. Um, It's not cheating, right? It's kind of setting him up, right? And then we're going to go back. And when he does it, I'm going to go, dude, that's awesome. If you really can catch your kids doing it right, Man, little boys particularly love to have their Superman capes on. They love to get it right. So when they get it right, we nail it. The general rule is if you can say three affirmations for every confrontation, the relationship will stay sweet. Now, when Jacob hit adolescence. Which, by the way, can I say that? Yeah. That's good for marriage and relationship and friendship, too. (laughs) If we find ourselves always addressing, always correcting, always confronting, and we're not doing the affirmations as well, We'll get buried. That's that challenge area. Yeah. We'll stay flat. We'll go, wow, I feel defeated. Every day I feel defeated. Yeah. Once hormones kicked in for Jacob, I knew once a week we were going to have a major head-on come to Jesus. Just like this is going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know what thing he's going to do, but there's way too much testosterone and not enough frontal brain activity, and this is going to be messy. So about once a week we're going to have a serious come to Jesus sort of thing. So my goal every week was, I go, I got to find three or four times this week 
to just celebrate the heck out of him, to just affirm the heck out of him. I've got to find those times. And sometimes it is a little scavenger hunt, right? But <laughs> I got to find the times that I'm laying down the affirmation, the celebration, the recognition. I got to find those times because I don't know when, but I know it's coming, yeah. right? And if you're not finding those times, if you're not going on the scavenger hunt with your kids to be celebrating them or your spouse, um, to let them know, man, I know there'll be some hard things coming. There'll be some blind spots. You'll come home and say, hey, Dad, so this, today in the cafeteria, and I'll, right? But, man, I caught you three times this week doing a great job. There's a padding there that when we land on it, it's not concrete, yeah. right? The habit of celebrating and recognizing and affirming is a really critical habit. And then when the hard things come, you know, there's something there to do. If you don't do that, if you just wait until there's hard things, either in your marriage or with kids, man, the contact starts to get so hard. They don't want the contact anymore. When they see you coming in their room, when they know, I mean, they're like already queuing up to go, this is going to be just sandpaper, right? So when you pick them up and you have, you go, hey, I'm coming by. And you picked up some food and you have a, I'm, I'm taking you out of school. We're going to go see that new movie. We want to celebrate because we know the hard times are coming. What we do in between those hard times is really critical. Yeah. And, and be intentional about that with each other and with your kids. Mm-hmm. We are out of time. We don't. We're out of time. It's 950. Okay. 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 So we know that we come from families that have not loved us perfectly, right? And that we have patterns and default systems when we come to conflict, when we sin against each other. Those are set in play after we get married, right? There's things that we've learned about how it would, when, when we have sin come to the surface in our marriage, in our family life, when we do injustices to each other, those things are going to come to the surface. And God has a provision, a way out of those things. He has a way to go through those things. And we have old default systems that we use when we get into our married life, when we get into our family life that we use. When conflict comes, because it will come, right, because we're going to sin against each other. That's what happens. But we use our old patterns, whether we shut down or we get big. We can either escalate or go passive. But we have systems that we have from our family that we've learned. Those come to the surface not to prove how bad we are, but for freedom and restoration. Mm -hmm. Those come to the surface because God puts light on those to go, that still needs to be healed inside of you. There's places in you that the God brings to the surface to go, I brought that to the surface not to point out how bad of a person you are. That would never be his intention. I'm bringing that to the surface because he goes, I still have healing and freedom in that area for you. Always. He never loses the sight of the picture when we're born about all the pouring in of how he made us always. He goes, that is, that's the girl that I made. That's the boy that I made. I love them. If we've had injustices done to us, which we have by our own family history, those come to the surface in our marriage first and then in our family system. And as those things come to the surface, God has restoration and freedom because it's being brought to the light. So think of it this way. We start out with peace and harmony. And inevitably, someone will sin. 
right? Because that's what that's what's going to happen. We're going to have injustices done to one another. We're going to sin against each other. We're going to spill on each other in this way that we didn't intend to, but we do, right? And in that time, we find out that there's brokenness in us, in our marriage, in our life. And during that time, if we don't, if we stay down here and we leave it unaddressed, that's when walls can begin to happen between us, which separate us from each other. It might start out as a veil first and then another veil and then another veil. And then eventually it's a wall that we can have in our relationships. And in this time, we realize that there's injustice in our marriage and in our relationship. The way through the only God has this provision to come back to peace and harmony in order to come back to peace and harmony. It's confession and forgiveness. This is the only mechanism that clears our system, that cleans us out. It says in James that if we confess our sins to one another, that we are healed. The way that we get healed is by confession and forgiveness. We ask the Lord for the eyes to see what's inside of us. That's why he said, what is in your eye first before you go to someone else? Take the plank out before you go to someone else. He says, look at your own heart first. What is it that's inside of me? How am I participating with brokenness, with the sin of my own family history? Is there anything in me that needs to be cleared? And this is the, we call this the gospel reenactment. The Lord does the gospel to us, which is this same process that he's done to us, right? The same exact thing has happened with Christ. We've sinned against him and we repent and have confession and forgiveness and he brings us back, right? He clears our system every time. We have the same opportunity to do this in our marriage and with our kids. So how that happens is we recognize that there's something inside of us when we've done this, when you go, I've spilled out on top of you. I've participated with jealousy. I've participated with pride. I've participated with these things that keep me separate from you. I've participated with criticism or judgment. And when we recognize those things, we say, I want to make amends for this way that I've participated with this. Will you forgive me? And then the amazing thing that God has set up is to say, we get to release one another back to this place of peace and harmony. So we ask for forgiveness from one another. We release each other and we come back to this place of full cleansing. Amazing that God goes, I'm doing the gospel to you. You get to do the gospel here. We get to the gospel with our kids. That's the mechanism that God has provided so that we can have that in our system, in our family system. And I would say, you know, for a lot of times, I grew up in a family where if you did something like my, we had six kids in our family. So my parents would say, say you're sorry to your brother. Sorry. You know, and he'd go, yeah. Right. And that was the restoration process. Right. Someone says, hey, I'm sorry. The other person goes, yeah, okay. That's not confession and forgiveness. Right. To confess is to agree that you've created a debt. 
Like I did something that was not in love. I'm, I'm going to own that. I did something that wasn't loving. And anything that's not in love, by definition, is sin because we're all designed to be loved, but we love imperfectly. So, hey, I want to make amends for doing a bad job. We make amends with our kids every week as parents. You know, if I get too tired, I become my dad. If I get too distracted, I become some bad version of me. And so after the fact, when I come back, I go, wow, I did not do a good job last night. And so if I'm taking Jacob to school in the morning, I go, hey, bud, I really want to ask your forgiveness. I I was just really snappy last night. I want to make amends with you. Would you forgive me for being so edgy? And Jacob would go, yeah, you know what, Dad? I totally forgive you. I release you. You're free. Thanks, bud. Right? When we confess our sins and pray for one another, then we're healed. It's not, I made a mistake, that's okay. That's not a restoration process. That's a cultural shortcut. And it doesn't give us a fresh start. Right? When I say I confess, I'm getting rid of whatever guilt or shame that I'm carrying. I'm agreeing how I was with you wasn't the way I wish I had been. It wasn't in love. I'm agreeing. And when I do that, I don't have to carry guilt or shame anymore. I get to download that, right? And when I've hurt somebody, my wife or my kids, from some poor parenting... You know what? And they have hurt and bitterness legitimately. And I tell them the reason you're hurt is because I did a poor job. And I'm asking whether or not you'll release me for having not loved you better. And they go, I do release you. They can release the bitterness. They can release the hurt. They can release the self-protectiveness that's starting to form. Because I'm saying out loud the pain that I caused them. So they don't have to hold on to it and protect themselves anymore. They get to let go of that bitterness. If they don't get used to letting go of bitterness they'll hold on to it and it'll become a pattern of resenting. It'll become a pattern of self-protecting. It'll become a pattern of being critical and sarcastic instead of releasing it. And then they get their hearts back too. So you take guilt and shame out from the person that blew it and you take the, the hurt and the resentment out from the person that was hurt. When you take that stuff out of the relationship, you're back to a fresh place. You're back to a clean place. You're back to a new place. So in our family, we think of that as just, we're taking the garbage out, right? We got four kids. We got a garbage can. We take it out at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. We produce a lot. When you live together, you produce a certain amount of, this is not the good stuff. We don't need this anymore, right? Um, And so we think of it as kind of going, this is the garbage bag in our house. It's just going to be there. The question is, do we have a habit of taking it out? Do we have a habit of getting clear with each other? It doesn't matter how much garbage you produce. It matters how often you take it out. Somebody say amen. All right, let's get a little something going here, right? It doesn't, do you understand that? Kind of like, did I do it perfectly, right? I know people who, who have a great run, but it matters a lot more how your habit is of getting clear with each other. We're so worried about making a mistake. We're so worried about what we've done. We spend so much time on that and go, you will make mistakes. Read the Gospels. Jesus only works with messy people. It's okay. That's the only qualification you need. So welcome. But the process of going, the habit is how often we take it out. And every time we take it out, every time we confess and forgive each other, we get a fresh start. It doesn't build up, right? And if you're not doing that, it will build up. 
And even if you only produce a little bit of garbage, but you don't ever take it out, the whole house will start to reek. The whole place will get stale. The whole thing will get funky. And I would say this pattern in a family, if your kids can learn and your habit becomes how to do that with one another, you will deposit a a capacity in them for their entire lives. Someday they'll be working it out with a spouse, with an employee, with a roommate, with a teacher, with a coach, with a professor. They will be working it out. They'll know how to say, I, you know what, I did, a, I, I, I blew it. Would you forgive me? And they'll, they'll know how to do that. I want to say one last thing on this is um, when I was about 24 years old, my dad was flying through Phoenix, and he was on a business trip. And um, I... Um, during the years, junior high and high school, I acted out quite a bit with, um, with drugs and alcohol and sexually. And, um, I'd come to be able to tell my parents about it, about that time. My dad was flying through town and he sat down with me and he said, um, I just want to tell you that, um, I really need to ask for your forgiveness for the ways I didn't protect you because my daughter and, um, you know, you'd think, like, by the time you get to that place that you don't need your parents to do that anymore, but you really do. And I just want to say that it's never too late. It's never too late to look at those things and ask for forgiveness. And in that, something healed inside of me when, the, when he did that. Um, I don't even really understand how the Lord does that healing process, but he does it. So when we ask for forgiveness and we extend ourselves that way, God heals something inside of us. Sometimes we don't even know that's broken. And I remember just sitting there and, and saying, I totally forgive you, Dad. I totally forgive you. And I really did feel like I got to release my dad, that he got a fresh start, and so did I. So I just want to say that, that it's never too late, no matter what pattern or habit you've gotten in, it's never too late for us to do this posture and this practice of asking for forgiveness, for making amends, for saying this is the reality of what I've been doing, and I want to ask for your forgiveness for this. And that's when grace rushes in. It just comes and meets us and finds us. Yeah. Um, Okay, now we really are out of time. So let me pray, and then... um... And then, okay, Jesus, thanks. Uh, the only truth we want is yours. The only truth that can change us or equip us or prepare us to receive and release is yours. So we pray that your truth would really get sealed in our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and that we would be able to carry it the way you carry it. Lord. Yeah. That uh, it's with joy, it's with peace, it's with hope, it's with expectation that you are a generous God, a gracious God. You stubbornly love us. You're continuing to show us what we have. Uh, Help us receive your very best and release your very best. In your name, amen.